Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, your weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 501. This week, we're talking all about Alaska, but not just general Alaska. I'm going to give you an insider's look at what to do when you take an Alaska cruise. Here we go. A Royal Caribbean cruise to Alaska has quickly become one of my favorite types of cruise to take. I try to make a point to go there now as often as I can. And when I go to Alaska now, I always look for it not just to do the obvious things, but also to indulge myself in Alaska and really get a sense of what's beyond the cruise ship brochure. And because Alaska has so many things to do, I constantly find plenty to choose from. And helping me with that, I have a little bit of a secret genie for Alaska, someone who knows it way better than I do. It is Molly Breeze, who uh, Molly traveled to Alaska as a kid and loved it so much that she decided to move there and has been living in Kodiak Island, Alaska now for many years. Molly, welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. <laughs> thank you, Matt. No pressure at all, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I got to tell you, um, Molly, I'm, I'm uh, telling the audience this is as much as you. Molly's written a number of articles for RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com about a local's guide. I wanted to have some, you know, things to to check out beyond the obvious things. I thought that'll be a fun blog post. And I got to tell you, Molly, I put your advice to the test when I went to Alaska last year, and it was fantastic. It was, <laughs> we were in Sitka, and there was this, you recommended this lady who had a food cart. You could only find on Instagram. You had to go track her down on there. And she's into this alleyway, and I'm like, yeah, this woman who I've never met told me to come find you over here, and this food is great, and it was amazing. So it's a testament to your work. <laughs> I love it. I also heard about her but word for to mouth from another friend from another friend. So I love that we are giving her a lot of business just by word of mouth. That, that makes me very happy. <laughs> Fantastic. So Molly, I wanted to talk to you today about basically how does someone who's going to Alaska on a cruise plan their cruise, maybe with an eye for something beyond the obvious thing. Certainly when you look at certain ports, you can say, oh, well, that port, the big thing to do is that and that. And there's nothing wrong with those things. Maybe you want something a little bit more. Before we dive into, you know, port by port by port, what are some of your general recommendations for somebody who's visiting Alaska, uh, especially for the first time? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'll apply the same logic that I do, like, whenever I plan a trip myself, is really sit down and think about, you know, what do you like to do? Alaska offers a really a lot of variety of adventures a lot of variety of choices and opportunities, and especially in each port for each kind of traveler. So kind of sit down and think, you know, do I like to hike? Do I like to shop? Do I like to do souvenirs? Do I like um, learning about local like ecosystems and wildlife? Kind of sit down and kind of really hone in on what's going to be of interest to you and then start diving into different opportunities that are going to kind of align to that interest. And that's when you get a lot more niche in that, you're going to start finding those more local experiences that, as you said, are off the brochure. Uh, for example, my husband and I, we love wildlife photography, and we specifically really like to do underwater photography. So in Ketchikan, there's a snorkeling cruise, uh, snorkeling excursion that you can do where you actually get to be in the water and you snorkel and you take photos of all the lovely critters underwater. And that's not something you normally would think about when you think about going to Alaska is like getting in the water and swimming. Um, but it's something that really aligned to our personal interests. And it was an amazing opportunity. It was really fun. Um, so really kind of think about, you know, what do I enjoy and then tailing your, your trip based on that. Fantastic. I got to ask you, uh, what is your favorite in the sense of preferred month to see Alaska? Like if your family was coming up there and say, Molly, we can come anytime between May and October, what month <laughs> would you tell them to come up for? 
Oh, that's a hard one because it really depends on the year. Um, yeah. If you would have asked me last year, I would have said June because last June Alaska was absolutely phenomenal. The the wildflowers were blooming. Uh, we had gorgeous weather. I think down in Southeast Alaska, it was like in the seventies for like three solid weeks, which is unheard of. Um, this June is a completely different story. We still have snow on most of our trails. It's very cold. It's very much still wintry. Um, for the best guess, I would say July. Um, July, you get that nice sweet spot of most of the trails are going to be open. Um, you're not going to encounter a lot of snow. You're going to have that really nice extended daylight hours, especially if you can book kind of early July. You're going to have those really nice long hours. And you're going to have some of the warmer temperatures. Um, July is also tend to be one of the driest months, June or July. Um, you kind of get to avoid that very iconic Alaska rain. So kind of shoot for the middle of summer. Um, now, there's a couple different things I would consider. If you want to do fishing, you might want to consider coming in August or September when more of the salmon are running. Um, but if you're just looking to get that beautiful, sunny, very rare Alaska that we all dream of, July is a really great time to come. What month do you think is best for animal viewing, specifically bears and whales? Oh, yeah. So if you come for the whales, those, those are fun. Um, June in Southeast Alaska is a fantastic time to come for the whales. You can see uh, the humpback whales do their bubble feeding behavior down in Ketchikan and Sitka, which is really rare. It only really happens during the herring run, which is around May to June. Um, you can still see the whales throughout most of the coastal communities throughout the whole summer. But again, June, you're going to start very unique behavior. Um, bears start coming out late May, early May, and they're out until about October. But if you want to see the bears fishing, which is what a lot of people want to see, they want to see them jumping in the river and trying to catch that salmon. You're really going to be looking again, late July through August, September. Um, September can be really the peak bear action, especially up like I live on Kodak Island. September for us is bear season. That's when the bears are really hitting hard on the streams. That's when our silver salmon come in. Um, they're really trying to get a lot more fish before the hibernation season. So you uh, you really can't go on a hike without encountering a bear um, in September on our island. So that, that's a fun time to be up here. Fantastic. Well, let's dive right into it now. Let's talk about the different places and the ports you can visit. And if you could just give us uh, your kind of uh, best advice, like, you know, maybe it's a place uh, to go check out. Maybe it's just general advice for how to approach a particular port, because I think a lot of people, they want to see the big things. They obviously don't also want to get lured into a tourist trap by any means. Although sometimes the tourist traps are kind of neat. But like, you know, you're looking for something maybe, it, it, whether if, if, it's, if you've been there many times, something different, you're going there for the first time, what would be a really cool thing to check out? Uh, let's start with the obvious one, Juno. I mean, it's probably going to be the first stop anyway on most people's cruises. Yeah, Juno is a cool place. Uh, if you don't know, Juno is the capital of Alaska. Uh, which makes you think initially that uh, Juno is going to be really big. Once you get there, you find out Juno is not actually that big. It's very, very small. Um, but what I love about Juno is that it has a really great road system that you can go explore. Um, so something that we do when we go to uh, Juno is we look for like a cheap car rental. So we'll look like on Turo and we'll pick up a cheap car rental. A lot of times the owners will drop off the car downtown because we'll be a lot, uh, arriving on the ferry a lot of times. So we just walk over, pick up the car um, and we hit the road. So you can drive, um, I believe it's about 45 mile round trip. I could have my miles off all the way down to Echo Cove that at the end of the road. And that is just a really fantastic way to exploring that area. Um, you can explore at your own pace. You're not on like some guided tour that you're stopping in the high points. You got to get on off the bus different times and you can pull off and really just kind of enjoy the scenery. 
And this is a really great excursion because, you know, it very likely might be rainy. So it's really great to have your own transportation to hop in your car if that rain hits. Um, but it's also really great, you know, you're going to see whales along this road. You're going to see, you know, possibly bears along the road. Um, you're going to see eagles. There are going to be a lot of stops that you're going to want to pull off. And then Echo Cove is just one of my favorite places to, like, grab a picnic in town, take it out there, enjoy it on the beach down there, um, and kind of mosey your way back into town. Um, so that's usually my go-to recommendation when everyone's going to you know, like, oh, you got to get on that road system. You got to go explore outside town. Yeah, that was a great tip. And I got to tell you, I don't know if we went to exactly where you were talking about, but we had a similar tour that we did. And we drove from Mendenhall to um, Eagle Beach, I believe, yeah. and which was, again, a recommendation from you for where to go. And along the way, there was a bear just chilling on the side of the road. And we slowed down. And the bear was like, okay, well, I'm going now. But, you know, it was it was just so matter of factly, but it was so cool. Like, that's the that is the really appealing thing about exploring on your own. I love the Toro idea. I didn't even think about something like that. Yeah. Um, and really, when you start breaking down the price, because a lot of cruise passengers, they'll hop on the bus and they'll go to Mindenhall, like you mentioned. Um, but once you kind of look in the price, if you can fill up your Toro with like three or four people, a lot of times the price is very similar to what you're going to pay to take transportation up to Mindenhall or do a tour up to Mindenhall or tour around the island. And it just... It just really opens up your timing. It allows you to have more time downtown later on if you want to do that. Because, you know, as much as I love the road system, downtown Juno cannot be missed. Um, there are some amazing restaurants. I'm saying this as someone who doesn't have a lot of restaurants where I'm at. Going down to Juno is an amazing place to eat. Um, and just some really cool places to explore down there. So definitely I would split my time half and half. Spend your morning and um, kind of midday out on the road and come back in the evening and have dinner before you get back on your boat. What's uh? Can you give us a recommendation for a restaurant in Juno you particularly like? Especially if you're looking for something, maybe you like Chinese food, but like maybe you like something that's a little more uh, representative of Alaska cuisine, perhaps. I'm not even sure. That's a hard one. I would have to look that one up because I haven't been Juno since before COVID. So I know a lot of the restaurants. Oh, wow. Well, did close down, so yeah, I would have to come back on that one. Um, okay, no worries. Well, there's there's lots. Of, I mean, there's lots of food trucks that are downtown. Also, it's very easy. That's nice about Juno. It's not a city in the sense of the city that we're used to probably back on the East Coast of the U.S., but still, there's enough that you can easily walk around and find plenty of places there. Right. And like I said, we had a great food cart that we went to. We were we got Mexican. It's definitely not Alaskan food, but sometimes you just feel like a taco, and it that is, was us. It is very good, and there's a lot of really cool breweries downtown. Um, there's I know the Alaska Brewer Company is down there, and that's just... Yep. That's a really cool place. It's a very, it can be kind of touristy at times, but uh, they have like a rotating menu that we've gone through. We've tried different beers on the menu and that's just a really fun way to like in your day. So that's always kind of like our iconic, like in the day, let's go in. We'll kind of mingle and talk to people around and just a really fun uh, Alaskan experience to have. Cool. Let's move on to Skagway. What's your recommendation to do in Skagway? Uh, I love Skagway. Skagway is a very just pure alaska when uh my parents went there the first thing he told me is like this is what we envision of an alaska town because that's what <laughs> Skagway is. um you know you you think about like the gold rush you think about like you know the the mining days and that is skagway to a t um my recommendation is gonna be really similar to what in juno is get a car and get on the road on skagway skagway is very uniquely positioned in southeast alaska that it actually has a road that you can drive to skagway from the rest of the united states which is very exciting um, so if you're in Skagway and you have, you know, eight or 10 hours to explore, you can rent a Jeep, you could rent a Turo again, um, and you can get out on the Klondike Highway there. 
And same thing, you're going to be able to access all those wonderful hiking trails. You're going to be able to see the bears. You're going to be able to stop in and see the salmon swimming up the streams. Um, that's just a really great way to kind of experience Skyway at, again, your own pace. Um, you can drive all the way up to Whitehorse, Canada if you want to. If you have your passport, you can cross into Canada and kind of do the same route the old, all the gold miners of the old days did and just kind of get a flavor of like the true Yukon territory, which I feel like is uh, it's a very rare experience, especially in Southeast Alaska, where you really can't get outside the communities very often. Um, Skagway lets you do that. Um, so definitely get in a car. If you get a car with a sunroof, that makes it even better because then you can see like the peaks that you're driving past. Um, but that's a really fun experience. Yeah, first time I went to Skagway, we did a Humvee tour, and we went all the we went all the way up to Emerald Lake, which is um, on that Yukon Highway, as you mentioned. Um, the last time, though, I, I'm going to post, by the way, in the show notes for this article or for this episode. Excuse me, I'm going to have all of Molly's articles that she's written with all these places. So everything she said so far is in all these articles. Anyway, Molly recommended one of the things she said was uh, Dewey Lake, and I said, "Wow, that looks amazing!" So I told my family, "We're going hiking to Dewey Lake." And- <laughs> And we made it, Molly, about a quarter of a mile, and the family mutinied on me, and we're like, this is way too intense. So then we fell back on your other recommendation, which was, uh, I hope I'm saying this pronounced, pronouncing it correctly, Yakutania Point. Mm, yeah, um, that's right, and, right. Yes. And yeah. that was much more pedestrian, uh, <laughs> and that worked out quite well. So there are really good hiking trails as well um, in, in Skagway. So. Oh, yeah, there are. And the Dewey Lake system is a really fun one. Um, Lower Dewey Lake, I think it's like a two and a half mile round trip. So if you have a family that's more you know, willing to follow you into the wilderness, uh, that is a really fun hike. And if, you know, if you want a more strenuous hike, the Upper Dewey Lake is just phenomenal. Um, but yeah. it, is, it is definitely a climb. I will not say that is not a climb. That is an all-day adventure. Um, yeah. But yeah, you can easily just stay downtown and explore it. Um, something I really like to do that a lot of the cruise ships do recommend, but I still enjoy doing it, is that the National Park Service like offers a free walking guide of the downtown area. Um, and I've done that tour about three times now, I think, and it never gets old um, because it's just it's really unique to kind of see this downtown area from the perspective of the Rangers and like from the historical perspective, so many of these buildings are preserved and so many buildings, you know, still remain from this time period. And, you know, they're different businesses now than what they were. Um, but I always, I always think that's a really, I'm a history nerd too. So that also probably has something to do with it, but I think that's a really fun way to kind of start off your Skyway adventure. It's also a really good idea. If you have kids, I'll piggyback on that idea because I believe if you like the kids do a couple of activities there, they get a badge of some kind, which is neat. I remember my youngest daughter was really into it. And that's a, and it's free. That's the best part about it. So yeah. definitely worth checking out. Cool. Let's move on to Sitka, Alaska. Yeah, Sitka's cool. Um, Sitka's one of my favorite because it is positioned kind of on the outside of this inside passage. You get a lot more interesting animals coming in there. Um, one of my favorite things to do was actually to take a boat up to the Marine um, Bird Sanctuary. There's a protected island up to the north of Sitka. It's actually a group of islands you can go up there. And in the summertime, it's one of the best places to view these migrating, uh, migrating seabirds. So you're going to see puffins. You're going to see seagulls. You're going to see so many birds that I don't know the name of because I am not a bird biologist, but I wish I did. <laughs> and it is an absolute phenomenal experience. Like I said, my husband loves wildlife photography. I love wildlife photography. And doing that boat ride up to those islands was truly spectacular. You're going to see whales along the way, sea otters, sea lions, seals. Um, it is really a cool way to kind of get out and ex- 
experience the wildlife of the area. Um, another thing that we did, and we did on a terrible rainy day, so if you have a sunnier day, I recommend this, but we went down to the Godard uh, Hot Springs that you can do. Mm-hmm. It's a Sitka excursion. You can jump on a boat. Um, at the port, there's a few people that will do the tours, but you can also just hire a boat to take you down. Um, and you ride the boat down through uh, the channel, and that will bring you to a natural hot springs area where you can actually like experience hot springs right there on the coast. There's like a very sad little changing house, but I recommend you can just kind of change in the woods there, have a friend hold up a towel. Um, and you can really kind of get out there and have like that local experience. Uh, there's always like a group of people around that are just like having fun. And even if it's raining, you can enjoy it because the hot springs are phenomenal and they're very warm. So that's a, that's a very fun, even on a dreary cold day. And don't forget uh, the fresh fish, which is in Sitka. That's that food cart I was alluding to earlier. It's called the fresh fish. And yes. I think they're only on Facebook and Instagram. Instagram is the fresh fish dot ak if that's still accurate i'm not sure but uh that's how i found it. it's still a good recommendation for for local food oh yeah yeah that's uh definitely check her instagram because she will post like local daily menus she'll post for hours things like that um beyond the fresh fish there's a lot of different food carts i'll pop up throughout the summer in sitka uh sitka just really likes their food carts um which is really interesting so definitely check that in um if you like history sitka is very um unique that it was the former Russian capital of Alaska when Alaska was part of the Alaska, uh, the Russian fur ter- company in the uh, territory. So there's a lot of interesting little tidbits of Russian culture that you can experience in Sitka. Um, there's an old Russian cemetery tucked away in town that you can kind of walk through. Um, there's a old historical park that you can walk through that the old uh, battle was fought in. So lots of interesting, if you're not looking to get out on a boat and kind of get out of town, there's a lot of interesting tidbits that you can do in town. Good stuff. Uh, how about Ketchikan? Ketchikan. I love Ketchikan. Break a rain jacket if you go to Ketchikan, though. <laughs> that was my recommendation. Um, Ketchikan is unique because all of South Alaska is part of the Tongass National uh, Forest, which is a temperate rainforest that stretches throughout all Southeast Alaska. But Ketchikan is unique because I feel like this is where the, the rainforest part of the Tongass really shines. Um, Ketchikan, you're going to get that really lush, dark rainforest it's just full of life and it's just amazing to experience so when you go to Ketchikan really make sure you hike um and Ketchikan makes it very easy you know even from the iconic creek street that's the street that you always see pictures of Ketchikan there are hikes just straight out from that creek um I think Mary Man's trail is what it's called it's a former trail that married married men of Ketchikan used to take to the brothels you can actually, oh. like, there's a little sign for it. If you go down to the Inner Creek Street and you can take that way up and it'll actually take you up to like a viewpoint. And then there's hiking trails that go past into the forest from there. Um, so definitely, you know, get out um, once you kind of experience, you know, the fun part, catch can, the very touristy part, get out into the forest. Even if it's raining, get out there. In the summer, you're going to hear some beautiful songbirds. Um, you're going to see the salmon running up through the creeks. Um, and it is true, truly just a fantastic experience um, and something that the Ketchikan artists really capture well. Their local um, arts and crafts that you'll see displayed in the souvenir shops um, is truly like an artist's paradise. Absolutely. It sounds like a great place. Um, you know, one of the things uh, I forgot to tell you about Sitka real quick about hiking and getting out in the, in the woods. I said, uh, again, you had recommended that in your article. And I said, my, one of my other writers, I was like, oh, you're going to you're going to Sitka. Cool. Uh, Go check out this 
the, one of the trails that you'd recommended in the article. And she messaged me at some point in the hike and no, sorry, this is Skagway. I'm, I'm not reading the comments that she said that she was too scared to keep going. She she's worried about encountering a bear um, on the trails. There were a lot of signs about that. I mean, what's your, what's your thought on that in terms of somebody who is worried about something like that, you know, in terms of encountering a bear on, I mean, in my experience, it's pretty rare to see a bear in general, whether it's in the woods or anywhere else. But I'm just curious uh, what your thoughts are, if, if someone else is concerned about that. Yeah, yeah. No, bears are definitely a reality in Alaska. Um, I think the only place that most cruises stop that you're not going to encounter, a possibly encounter a brown bear is Ketchikan. Uh, they only have black bears uh, in Ketchikan, but there are brown bears throughout the rest of Southeast Alaska. Um, my recommendation is definitely look into renting or borrowing bear spray at each location. Um, I know some cruise ships have started to hand them out as a, you can borrow them when you're leaving the ship and return them when you come back. But a lot of the local areas will hand them out. So if there's a national park um, station in that town, if there's a cafe in the town, a lot of times they will rent you bear spray. And I definitely recommend carrying bear spray. Um, I've used it myself a couple of times. It's uh, very effective. Wow works um but that's just going to help you have that peace of mind um the other thing is you know go with the group that you know if you are walking with a group you're making noise it's very unlikely you're going to spook a bear or encounter a bear um so that's just kind of a nice general you know good wisdom is make make sure you're just talking uh, they do sell bear bells that you can have as a souvenir and that you can wear if you're hiking by yourself uh, but the biggest thing for, you know, Alaskans is you just don't want to startle the bear. You know, you want yeah. the bear to know that you're there. That way they get out of the way before you come. Um, so just make sure you make some noise. Uh, don't panic. Don't run. Uh, like I said, we've counted lots of bears, especially on Kodiak. We've never really had an issue. Uh, just kind of stay calm, talk to the bear, and just really in enjoy the experience. You know, a lot of people don't get to see a bear in the wild. That's yep. really rare and special. There you go. Uh, how about Seward, Alaska? Because it's not a very common port, but sometimes cruise ships will begin their cruise in Seward. Yeah, Seward's cool um, because, like you said, a lot of times they'll begin or even they'll end in Seward. So Seward's up on kind of central part of mainland Alaska. Um, you get a lot kind of different flavor the minute that you land there. You can tell, like, you're kind of in a different part of Seward, Alaska. Uh, the Maritime uh, Sea Life Center is in Seward. It's very touristy, but still one of my favorite things to do because uh, it's just a really great introduction to that ecosystem and where you are in Seward. As far as doing like a, you know, kind of getting off the beaten path, again, if you're in Seward, I would definitely rent a car. You have access to the whole Kenai Peninsula right there. Um, drive up to either like Cooper's Landing and go see like the Kenai, maybe try fly fishing up there. They still get a really solid King Salmon run on that river, especially in June and July. So that's a really great place that if you are, you know, you want to have the iconic, like, I want to catch a salmon in Alaska, the Kenai River outside Seward is where you're going to go. Um, so that's a really great thing. If you want to do a little bit further drive, you can drive up to the Portage Glacier. It's about an hour and a half down the road. Um, or, you know, if you want to kind of stick closer home on Seward, go rent a kayak. You don't have to do a guided kayak tour. You can just go rent kayaks. That's not something a lot of people know. And you can go and kayak on yourself. So if you're comfortable kayaking, if you're comfortable, you know, kind of with seafaring, uh, go rent a kayak and go hit the bay. The, uh, the Fjords National Park is just outside of Seward. It's beautiful, unlimited kayaking um, opportunities there. If you stay kind of close shore, you're going to be pretty safe. And just get out in the water and go, go see what you can see. I got to echo also something that you talked about, which, of course, you know, is like hop in a kayak, uh, rent a boat or go with a boat, right? A guided tour. You know, I, I think a lot of cruisers are conditioned, especially in the Caribbean. They they lean heavily on the cruise line because 
There's so many unknown factors and, and also language barriers. But the nice thing about Alaska is you're in the United States. I think everyone I've ever encountered speaks English pretty darn well. <laughs> and they uh, and it's same currency, you use credit cards, but also that peace of mind, like, you know, it, it seems like you're on the same ground, if you will, in terms of understanding what the tours are, being able to get questions answered. Um, you really, it's a good idea to plan things ahead. So definitely Google and book things. But also in a lot of the ports, there's all these vendors lined up, you know, right by the water. And if you see that opportunity, yeah, how much is it to rent a kayak or do something like that? There's always, that's a really good way to um, be able to, again, get out there and do more uh, during your time, especially like you're saying, here, Molly, like, you know, you do a regular tour, uh, you know, nine to nine to noon, right? And then you have these couple hours afterwards, there's always more opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Um, and if you're not a person that likes to fly by the Cedar Pans and wants to pay a little bit more, um, Alaska is a very heavy Facebook community. So each community in Alaska, it's going to have a dedicated Facebook group. Um, Kodiak has them. I'm in the one for Seward. I'm in the one for Ketchikan. And they're usually called, you know, something like Friends of Kodiak or Friends of Seward or Friends of Sitka. And these are really great communities to join before you go and just start asking questions. The locals love telling you what they love about their area. And they're going to let you know, because like a lot of times there are tour operators or there are people who rent kayaks or have their uh, cars available for renting that may not be on like a Google search or have like a website. Um, so this is a really great place to kind of get kind of an insider look of like, what else can I do? Um, and people can really provide really great information. Like I know one time we were really interested. We wanted to see a mama bear fishing in a river outside sewers. So we got on there and we asked like, Hey, what's the bear activity like? And they got on there like, Hey, yeah, there's been a mama bear at Russian river falls you know, every day for the last three weeks. So when we got there, we went to the falls and we got to see the mama bear fishing with her cubs. So that was, that was a really cool experience. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, last port, uh, Haynes. Yeah. Haynes is cool. Um, Haynes is, uh, it's a lot smaller. That's always what I feel like yes. I say about Haynes. It's a lot smaller than what I originally think about Haynes. Um, Haynes is definitely an interesting place to kind of explore, Boutique museums is, I guess, uh, I know I was in Haines the other day, uh, by the other day, I think it was last summer, and they have like, a hammer museum. Um, they have just very interesting kind of like hole-in-the-wall places to explore in Haines. Um, there's also a lot of really great hiking trails. You can rent a bike in town. You can bike up by a lake. Um, a lot of ways to kind of get out of town if you want to rent a Toro. That's also another availability. Again, just like Skyway, the road does extend outside Haines, so you can get out of town, go explore at your own pace. Um, it goes all the way up to Canada, too. It's funny because Skyway and Haines are very close together by water, but it takes like 300 miles to actually drive between the two. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just get out of town, enjoy some of the hiking. But very randomly, like, check out some of the boutique museums. They, uh, I feel like a new one pops up every year, and it's just they're very they're very unique and uh I guess Alaskan-esque is a good way of putting that of as that unique yeah. flavor of what we find interesting up here. So the I gotta shout out to the Haynes Brewery Company. That was a really cool spot um that you turned me on to and I went over there and it's it's legit. You know, it's a really cool brewery, really good vibe and great outdoor viewing. Haynes is a beautiful town. Um it is if I was gonna move to a town knowing absolutely nothing about the logistics of anything, Haynes <laughs> has like I mean, it's got like the look. I mean, it's this really nice, quaint little town set against these absolutely gorgeous mountains right on the water. Uh, I joked when we docked there, there was the there was a woman who was assisting the crew, uh, assisting the ship, like get docked there. And I joked that she's the mayor, she's the 
the portmaster, and she's probably also like the librarian or something. Like, you know, it's just a small town. Like, they got to make do with what they got there. But it's a really, really um, cute little town and um, definitely worth checking out. So good stuff there. Um, so I'm going to link again to all the articles that Molly has written, and you can check it out at royalcaribbeanblog.com. So there's a lot of good recommendations in there, what to do. It's really hard to... I'm sure someone could screw it up, but it's hard to screw these things up. And there's so many choices you have. And that's the beauty of it is that you can't do it all in one trip. But when you do get there, there's a lot of variety, a lot of choices to have. So don't feel like you're limited to what Royal Caribbean is offering because those are good choices too. But you can do a lot of those things on your own very easily. I wanted to ask you really quick before we get going here. Transportation. You mentioned renting a car, Turo. Um, Is Lyft and Uber a thing in Alaska? They are, but they're only really a thing on the big, bigger, bigger cities. I won't say big city because there's really hardly a big city in Alaska. Um, you're only going to find Lyft and Uber in Juneau, Fairbanks, and Anchorage, typically. Okay. Um, you might find a few operators in some of the coastal communities. Um, they're going to be rare and they're going to be hard to find. So that's, again, why I re- uh, recommend doing the Turo, especially if you plan on getting out of town, which for most of these communities, in 10 minutes of driving, you're out of town. Um, so I would definitely recommend relying on your own transportation rather than trying to tour on Uber. Um, there are still a lot of taxi services in most of the communities too. So that's also a dependable option. Um, but again, those taxi services are going to be pretty small, um, especially if there's multiple cruises coming in that day. Um, I would kind of look into maybe having your own transportation. And lastly, uh, maybe I already know the answer because you've kind of showed your hand a little bit here, but what is your favorite port to visit of all these towns we've talked about? If you could go there right now, Molly, which one would you pick? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I feel like that greatly depends on the time of the year. Um, since it is June, I'm going to say I'm going to want to go to Skagway um, just because I feel like there is so much to explore outside of Skagway um, that I have not explored. A lot of times, you know, I get in the car and I hit the White Horse, I'll stop a few times. Um, but there are so many glaciers, there are so many rivers um, to kind of go and check out that. You know, there's there's some really fun there's some really fun excursions like taking a helicopter up to the glacier and doing the dog sleigh ride. Like I live in Alaska, I've never done that before, so I wanted to go do that. So I feel I feel like there's always something new to explore in Skagway. So definitely my favorite. Fantastic, Molly. Thank you so much for joining us here today. <laughs> thank you, Matt. It was very fun. <laughs> All right, friends, I'm answering listener emails. This is the part of the episode where I dive into the email inbox, answer questions you have sent me all about taking a Royal Caribbean cruise. You can always email me your questions by emailing them to matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Our first email this week is from Ed Vira. Hi, Matt. I just booked a seven-night Western Caribbean cruise on Harmony of the Seas for Galveston, out of Galveston, for late October 2024. What I'd like to know is, currently it says that Greece is the Broadway show that's showing on Harmony. How often do the shows change or rotate between ships? This is more than a year and a half from now. Can I anticipate that Greece will still be the show presented during the week we're actually there? And the answer is, it's going to be there, Ed. They really don't change out shows much, if at all. It's very, very rare. Why? I think it honestly just comes down to cost, essentially. Because the most people that go on a particular ship, whether it's Harmony or any other ship in the fleet, are new to that ship. Or it's been so long they don't even remember the last time they were there. Either way, the show still holds up. Now, certainly, maybe someone like myself who cruises a lot, I'm the outlier in this situation. But you should probably expect Greece to be the show when you go on Harmony of the Seas, because, again, they really don't change much, if at all. Next question is from John Alvarez. Hi, Matt. First off, your site is what woke me up on the amazing vacation that Cruise is. Needless to say, I'm hooked for life. 
I'm selling out a lure this season. This will be my first time with the ultimate dining package. Normally, our embarkation day tradition is to hit up the Windjamer. I noticed that Giovanni's and Sabora are also open on embarkation day. Would you opt for one of these versus the Windjammer? Also, any specific strategy within the ultimate dining package, any restaurants you would skip to eat at another one more than once? Thanks. Good question. Thank you for the email. Uh, you know, would you do the embarkation day lunch? A lot of people would say yes. And the reason being is that, well, you, got the, you have the dining package. You might as well get your value out of it and you can get it for embarkation day. The nice thing about also by going to especially restaurant instead of the Windjammer for uh, on boarding day, essentially is you get to enjoy more of a slower pace. You don't have to worry about, you know, the Windjammer getting crowded or any lines or anything like that. It's actually a nice alternative. So as long as you're not in a rush, I don't think you are. Some people go on a cruise and they really want to like, you know, do everything. They want to hit the water slides and this and this and this. And that can be, I think, problematic if you try to do a specialty restaurant. But as long as you're not pressed for time, that's totally fine. But if you are, then the Windjammer is still a better idea. But I think going to Giovanni's or Sabor for embarkation day is a great idea. As for a specific strategy, you, know, you asked about, you know, what restaurants would I skip to eat at another one more than once? This is personal preference. Like as an example, I would do Izumi more than once, but now that's partially for two reasons. One, there's actually two sides to Izumi, sushi and hibachi. So to me, that's two different restaurants, but also I could always make sushi work and have another sushi lunch, sushi dinner, something like that. But that's me. There's people who don't feel that way. At the same time, I've also don't eat red meat, so chops is kind of out of my particular wheelhouse, but I totally recognize a lot of people like chops quite a bit. So my only recommendation is obviously, you know, if you haven't tried these restaurants, well then, you know, try as many as you can and prioritize restaurants you have not tried over restaurants you maybe you have tried. I think that's always a good idea, get a sense of what those restaurants are. But otherwise, you know, mix and match as best you can, look at the schedule, also look at your port schedule, what time you'll be back on the ship. Because, you know, if all aboard is late, you might want to push back dinner times as well. So, John, hopefully that answers your question there. Thank you for the email. Next email is coming to us from Larissa. We're selling an icon of the season, spring 2025, and we've never been to the Caribbean before. Excret Park has been on our bucket list for a while, and I just found out that Rokram is currently offering excursions that go there on the Cozumel stop. All I've been able to learn from the reviews I've read is that the ferry ride makes a lot of people seasick and that's a long day. We're from California and it's not likely that we'll be in this area often. This may be a one and done opportunity. We go to Hawaii every year, so a beach day isn't a high value option for us. Curious to hear your insights that you may have on this excursion. Thanks so much. I've been listening to you since so long ago. WW Today's Days with uh, Len, Mike, and Mike, and you've helped me plan several awesome bucket list trips. Well, Larissa, it's good to connect with you once again here. Uh, what you heard is actually very, very true. And I would actually warn you not to do that at tour because of the ferry ride. There's so many cool things you can do on the mainland in Mexico. When you dock in Cozumel, Cozumel's an island, but there's a ferry you can take over to the mainland. It's a very short distance, but that straight, that channel that exists between Cozumel and Playa del Carmen is notorious for bad waves and weather and just like being seasick, right? It can look very sunny out. But it's called the Vomit Comet because every, not everybody, so many people get seasick on there and there's a lot of vomiting that occurs. Um, my only advice if you're going to do it is to go on one of the upper outer decks. Don't be inside because then you're locked in with all the people that are vomiting. Uh, and try to not be in a position in which you can't see other people. It's one thing to hear people vomiting. It's another to see them vomiting. Um, and obviously take seasickness medicine, take Bonine preemptively might be the way to do it. Excrat's a very nice uh, excursion. I've heard very good things about it. Again, the problem with Excrat, the problem with Tulum, the problem with Chichen Itza, and so many other great tours that are over on the mainland is 
He requires a fairy ride, which is, you know, uh, it, problematic in and of itself. And then no matter what you're doing on the mainland, it's a long day because you've got to get the ferry that goes over there, do whatever, get to wherever you're going, then get back to the, the ferry, take the ferry back again. It's a long day. So I get what you're saying. It's like, well, Matt, I really don't want to go do like just another beach club in Cozumel. There are some Mayan ruins in the uh, on the island. Also, Chakanab is a place that is on the island of Cozumel. It's not quite as exotic as Excaret, but Chakanab is probably the closest thing you're going to get and a good alternative to Excaret on the island of Cozumel. So check that out. I think, I don't remember if Royal Caribbean sells Chakanab, but the good news is it's so easy to get to really anywhere in Cozumel because of the taxi service there. So hopefully that will uh, help you out. My next email is from Christina and Mike. Hi, Matt. Love the podcast and the YouTube channel. We're starting to plan our logistics for our June 2024 cruise out of Southampton. And we're so excited to hear that you're going to Norway. and Looking forward to hearing the details of your travel from London to Southampton. I heard you say you may take the train. So we're looking forward to hearing, seeing how that goes. We're debating staying in Southampton the night before the cruise, but are finding it difficult to find a hotel that suits our taste. If the trip from London to Southampton is easy and reliable, we may just travel from the port to the port, rather, from London the day out. Please share your thoughts on those logistics after your cruise. Um, oh, there's some more here. Let's jump into that. The answer is, is really easy. And I would definitely say going from London is totally fine. I took the train down from London the on the day of the cruise. So the same day the cruise left, uh, it was fine. The I left, It was a Sunday, so there was a limited train service on Sundays. But it just meant I didn't have quite of an express ride that I would have gotten maybe on another day. But it was totally fine. Actually, on the way back, I took the Royal Caribbean transfer. So when I got on board the ship in the Royal Caribbean app, when it asked for your departure information uh, to get you, you know, you get the proper luggage tag later on. And it was like, do you need a ride to the airport? And I was like, yeah, I guess I do. And I have actually never taken a Royal Caribbean transfer before. So this is my first time. And it could not have been easier. I picked my time, got off the ship, with, got my luggage, went straight to the bus, which was waiting right outside the cruise terminal. They asked me which terminal I was going to. And uh, my flight wasn't until later in the day. So I just, I told them which terminal I was going to, but actually it was more of a crapshoot in the sense that, you know, other buses may have left earlier. But the point is, is actually, I was on the first, as soon as I got on the bus, within about three minutes, the bus left. And I was like, wow, great timing because there was a Terminal 2 bus that was still sitting there when we left. I'm sure they left sooner after that, but, um, and it was Sunday as well. So there wasn't much traffic. The bus driver, in fact, said uh, that much is like, well, you know, welcome on board. It was about a, you know, hour and a half ride to London and it's Sunday. So it shouldn't be too bad of traffic and it was fine. So um, I would say if you're having trouble finding a good hotel, uh, staying in Southampton, I would definitely recommend staying in London as, as well. I mean, if you're going to tour London at all, I think it just makes more sense for you to spend your time there and then take the train or a bus down to Southampton. I think the biggest issue with Southampton getting there is traffic. And if you're going there on a weekday, Certainly that could be the case. I remember actually the day or two, I think it was the day before the cruise, there was not only a train strike, but then the UK border service, whatever they call themselves, uh, decided, to do, <laughs> decided to do an impromptu security screening of everybody coming in and out of the port. And that really slowed things down. That's just something you can anticipate obviously, but for what it's worth, I didn't have any of those issues. Uh, Christina and Mike says also in their email, speaking of Norway, can you elaborate more on the future ban on cruise ships coming in 2025 for UNESCO World Heritage Fjords and how they'll impact future cruise opportunities? Will Royal Caribbean stop doing Norway altogether or will the itinerary options just be different? Thanks. Enjoy Norway. Can't wait for the future updates. You know, I, I don't think anyone knows. Um, it certainly sounds like that. A lot of ports are moving, not a lot, some ports are moving in this direction. You, uh, Portland, uh, or sorry, Bar Harbor, Maine is one of them. 
Um, Key West tried to do this and it actually got overruled by the state. And then here you have something in Norway. It remains to be seen. Of course, the 2025 deployments aren't out and they won't be out until later this year, probably around November or so. And ultimately, forget this. I mean, it's just impossible to ever anticipate what they may or may not do and how that may or may not impact their plans there. Um, you know, I was just, it just worked out that I was able to go here, but I can't tell you with any kind of certainty what will or will not happen. Things change, rules get passed, there are exemptions, there are workarounds, there are all sorts of things that happen. You never know. But if you're going in June 24, then you're probably protected against that. And in most cases, and this was true in Maine as well, any ships that were already scheduled to go there were usually um, grandfathered in. So don't worry too much about that. And our last email this week is coming to us from Spencer. with three questions for us. I'm a loyal listener and appreciate the information that you and your team provide. You guys are the best. You've answered an email I sent previously, but as my cruise date gets closer, more questions will pop in my head. First, when checking out the checking out on disembarkation day, if I have a card line linked to my account, will it be necessary to go to guest service to settle my account or will it automatically charge your card? Good question. The answer is it will automatically charge your card. There's no reason to go to guest services. Two, wow bands. I've seen videos about them before. Then I saw Royal Caribbean isn't offering them currently. Then I read rumors that maybe brought back. Have you heard anything to clear this up? Yes, uh, they're back. Uh, they got brought back a little while ago, but they're back on all the ships that had them pre-pandemic. Which are, mm, I think all the Quantum class and all the Oasis class minus Allure of the Seas. Third, after disembarking, do you know if it's difficult to get an Uber to leave the port? I know you live in Florida and drive to your own vehicle, but have you heard anything about getting the experience getting a ride share? I've dealt with slow servers and long lines after large events like a football game before, and that's not something I want to deal with. So if I can avoid it by booking something ahead of time, I'll do it. If not an issue, great. I've done this many times in Port Canaveral um, for a variety of reasons, and actually I've not had any issues. I would say this, a couple things, Spencer. Number one, if you can help it at all, get off your ship as soon as you can. The earlier you get off the ship, you might actually avoid also surge pricing maybe later on. That helps you. Have I heard of sometimes there being a line for a Lyft and Uber in places like Port Miami or something like that? Yeah, but the good news is in Miami, Port Lauderdale, these are big cities and there's a lot of Uber rides and Lyft rides that are out there. So, you know, I guess I'll, two things. Number one, don't plan like your flight at like, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning. Don't try to redline it like that. Number two, if you are uh, going to use Lyft or Uber, I would recommend, as I mentioned earlier, get off the ship earlier. I mean, I usually get off the ship, well, in Port Canaveral, I would walk off with my own bags. If you can do that, that's great because then you really beat the rush because most people that are walking off the ship on their own, most, not all, most, I feel like, have their own vehicles because they're on, they're getting on their way, they're locals, they want to get to work or something like that. So not to say there aren't tourists that are going to be taking flights, but I'm just saying it's going to be to your advantage to be uh, off the ship before the first numbers are called compared to later on, but it's not impossible to get one either. I don't wanna make it seem like if you got a ship at 8.30, you're not gonna get a Lyft or Uber ride. I've done that before as well. So it can definitely work for you. Thank you, Spencer, for the emails. Thank you everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog podcast. If you wanna send me your emails, you can always do so by sending them to matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Don't forget to put your name, where you're from, and also in the email, it's for the podcast, as opposed to just some rando email I'm getting. This has been Matt from royalcaribbeanblog.com. We'll talk again real soon.